0: The leaves look like silver dollars. My wife tells me that the plant is called a money tree. And the plant that I was looking at on this particular evening was like a $100 money tree. It belongs to our friend Carol. We go to watch Sunday night football with our friends. And we, I was looking at this tree and I'm thinking this tree was just pulled right out of the Amazon rainforest. And the reason why I was so interested in this tree is that we also have a money tree. Our tree is more like a $20 tree. It, and it's losing money. <laughs> it, it, there are leaves falling off. And, and my wife has read the instructions. We, don't, we, we know we don't have a green thumb. I think she thought that my two-hour showers would create the subtropical environment necessary to make this tree flourish. This tree needs to be like Carol's tree, and there is hope that that can happen, right? Obviously, there's something we don't yet understand, and as I looked at these trees, as I looked at Carol's tree, and I looked at our tree, I was thinking about the church, and I think that Carol's tree is the church as it should be, as God designed it to be. It's a church that's thriving and flourishing, not just for us, for our generation, but for our grandchildren, our grandchildren's generation, or other people's grandchildren's generation. And so I was thinking that the church of today, like our tree, that $20 tree that's losing money, needs the right kind of intervention in order to be a tree that flourishes for generations. In the IBC, we have a lot of diversity. Uh, There are about 200 nations in this world today, and 150 of those nations find themselves in these 62 churches that are spread around the globe, doing, serving the Lord, worshiping in English, sharing the gospel. And you can imagine that the people that come from these very diverse places bring with them... A lot of diversity in thinking, in theology, in relationship, in cultural experiences and traditions. And so when you think about a thriving church, a church that will be thriving not just now but for future, for generations to come, There are some important elements like worship and and the preaching of the word and the proclamation of the gospel making disciples that certainly will uh, contribute to that. But I would like to suggest that conflict is another very good opportunity. And if we have an effective response in the midst of conflict, that that also is important for the long-term thriving and sustainability of the local church. Now, conflict can take many forms. One form is doubts. Uh, we, these doubts are, are, are often not so much about the Lord as about his people, right? I, I know I trust the Lord, but I'm not so sure I trust you, right? There are also disagreements. Disagreements happen all of the time in the local church, Some of these disagreements are the result of deeply held convictions as we wrestle with God's word and and he, he challenges us in a certain way. And then we come together with other people who have looked at his word in the same way and come to very different conclusions. And there are many other reasons why there can be disagreements in the local church, including the color of the carpet or things like that, right? And then there are disappointments. We all have expectations. Sometimes promises are broken, or we believe a promise was made, and when that promise doesn't, is not fulfilled, we're disappointed, aren't we? Sometimes we set people up for disappointment because we have expectations that are unrealistic. But all of this can create an environment of conflict in the local church. And Paul was in a, in a similar kind of a situation Paul said that troublemakers had come and they were bringing a message, they were adding to the gospel. They were suggesting that the Gentiles who had entered into the kingdom uh, as a result of the expansion of the gospel now needed to add to the gospel these practices that had come out of the Jewish religion. It made no sense. And Paul was angry because he he felt like this kind of a message was going going to be very dangerous for the church. And so Paul is very wound up. And yet, it's interesting at the end of this epistle to those who live in the area of Galatia that he would challenge us in this way. He sees people who are devouring and biting one another like dogs tearing apart flesh and he says, This instead should be the way that you treat one another. And so he lays out three commandments that I think could be helpful for each one of us in whatever context we're in, as we serve the Lord in the local church, and as we bring an effective response to conflict. And the first command is that of loving. In verse 13, uh, we read, for you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity to indulge your flesh, but through love serve one another. The gospel is opposed to legalism. Paul was worried about the, the going back to that legalistic kind of living and what that would do to the message of the gospel, but that was not his only concern. He was also concerned about libertinism. You don't just get to treat people the way you want to. That's not the kind of freedom that the gospel has called us to. Uh, Years ago when I was in seminary, I remember an interview by Brian McLaren in Leadership Magazine in which he said, there's a reality that many pastors secretly acknowledge but seldom verbalize that too many of our quote-unquote educated Christians are some of the meanest. They may know more information about the Bible, but are the least Christ-like. Too often, there seems to be a direct correlation between knowledge about theology on the one hand and arrogance, contentiousness, and an uncharitable spirit on the other. Love. Love. We've been freed to love, serve one another in love. The ultimate fulfillment of the the, uh, law is that. And we see this in Jesus' own response, right? He ultimately voluntarily goes to the cross out of love for you and me. And so love is the first way that we can respond effectively when the context is that of conflict. The second is to look for God's Spirit. For the desires of the flesh, verse 17 says, are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for they are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do, the wrong things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And then he goes on to say, if we live by the Spirit, let us also... Keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, and envying one another. The realm of conflict in the local church falls squarely in the the area of our sanctification. And Paul says, this follows the formula of of a a promise that follows um, an affirmation. He says, if you walk by the Spirit... If you, okay, sorry about this, but I say live by the spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh, right? And so I think the instruction here is to look for God's spirit in one another. Jackie has been listening to a podcast about mediation. I know that America, I haven't lived in America for a long time, but when I look at America today, I see a lot of angry people I see a lot of people who can't have a civil conversation about disagreement. And, and in this podcast, one of the challenges that the two uh, um, leaders of the podcast had for each other was to humanize the people on the opposing positions that they represented. And they found by having to do a little research about that person, discovering who they were, something about their family, something about their life, it changed the tone of the conversation. I think the same is true in the local church. You and I can disagree pretty strongly about some matters that we believe are important, that come right out of God's word. He's challenging us. But if I see God's spirit in you, If I see the fruit of the Spirit in you, it changes the tone of our conversation. It makes me a little more respectful, a little more willing to listen, to be humble. Maybe there's something I can learn. And so we need to love. We need to look for God's Spirit. And finally, in chapter 6, Paul says we need to carry each other's load or lift one another up to reconciliation. He continues saying brothers and sisters if a person is discovered in some sin you who are spiritual restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness. Pay close attention to yourselves so that you are not tempted too. When I read this passage it reminds me of a time in my life when I was a paper carrier Now, back in my teenage years, I would put this bag over my shoulders, and I would load these heavy Sunday papers with the comics in them, and I'd get on my bike, and I'd ride around the neighborhood, and that was how I made money in high school. And you would go back around to these houses, and you would uh, collect the money for the monthly uh, newspaper subscription. I don't know how much of that money ever made it to my bank account, because I, at the same time that I was selling newspaper, I also was collecting baseball cards. And so very often, as I would return from collecting the money for the, the newspaper, I would stop by the pharmacy, because in the pharmacy, you would find tops and other kinds of, of baseball cards, and you'd pop them open, put that piece of gum in your mouth, right? Baseball cards were not the only things sold in the pharmacy. Obviously, there were medicine things. There was a magazine rack. And in this magazine rack, had a covered section. And behind that covered section were the pornographic magazines. And often when I've read this passage, I've imagined myself walking into the pharmacy one afternoon to buy my baseball cards and discovering a brother or sister in Christ flipping through a magazine that they should not have been looking through. And I think, what an opportunity. What grace that God has afforded to me and to this person that I might catch them in the act of their sin. Maybe something that they're struggling with, that they're having a hard time coming out of. And that's the context that could be one of the contexts of what Paul is saying. There are all kinds of ways that we could apply this, right? all kinds of sins that we can discover in one another. And the burden on us is to lift one another up, to carry each other's load. Now, I don't think that it's limited to those kinds of applications. I believe this could be much more broadly uh, applied as we disciple one another, as we help each other to grow. And, And this will influence not just our sanctification, but our ecclesiology, Because we are not just stewards of our own spirituality, we are stewards of the church. The church is God's invention. It's the place for our growth, and it's the place where our world will see Jesus Christ in you and me, and hopefully they will be attracted to Christ. Paul says, carry one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks that he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each one examine his own work. Then he can take pride in himself and not compare himself with someone else. For each one will carry his own load. There's a corporate responsibility and then there's an individual responsibility. Ultimately, each one of us will respond before the Father in heaven. For the decisions that we've made, for the life that we've lived. But we have an opportunity in the body of Christ to help one another. I'd like to suggest three ways that we can look at this by way of application. And then hopefully I could show you how this fits my context as well. And these this application comes in the form of, in a geometric form. Two horizontal lines, and then a vertical line. The first horizontal line represents a journey. You and I are on a journey. Uh, I would suggest that the things that you believe today are not the same as you believed five years ago. They may not even be the same that you believed one semester ago, right? So since we're both on a journey, let's look at this horizontal line that we're on and help one another along on this journey. Instead of seeing this as as a maturity, immaturity thing that sets us up in different places, let's help each other along on this journey. I think that's one way that we could apply this passage of scripture this morning. The second horizontal line is a continuum. And in this horizontal line, you and I are on different sides of an issue. Not too long ago in the International Baptist Convention, we uh, talked about the issue of women in leadership. And we recognize that within our, our uh, convention, people stand on both sides of this issue. And the thing about continuums is they're not just one extreme or the other, are they? There are people with mediating positions all along that continuum. And on this horizontal line, I would propose that we build bridges instead of walls. Keep the dialogue open. If God is at work in you, if I love you, If I need to grow and I want to help you to grow, can we have a dialogue? Can we keep that dialogue open, recognizing that we may not change our positions, but we can learn from each other? And we certainly can recognize that there are many ways of looking at Scripture and coming to different conclusions, right, that are not central to the gospel. Now, Paul was clear in Galatians, there were were some issues that that were central to the gospel. And he was not willing to to concede those. In chapter 2 of Galatians, Paul confronts the apostle Peter. Because Peter has been eating with the Gentiles, and although in the early part of, of his ministry as he brought the gospel to the Gentiles, he was able to eat the same things that they ate, right? You remember that time when God lowered that cloth down or that blanket with those animals and and Peter learned a lesson that opened his mind up so that the gospel could go to the Gentiles. But it seems like Peter has backtracked and Paul confronts Peter. It's interesting though, Paul does not call Peter an apostate. Paul does not say, Peter, you've lost your salvation. Paul does not say, Peter, you are no longer an apostle. This was an opportunity for growth. And as we build bridges and not walls, we leave those opportunities open to learn from one another. I'd like to suggest a third line, however, and this one is a vertical line. And this represents the limits And that is that I will not come between you and the Lord in matters of conviction. There is a limit. Paul says each one will bear his own load. And so we have to recognize that as we help each other along in the journey of sanctification, as we wrestle over strongly held convictions of scripture, that there is a limit as we allow God, by his Spirit, to guide his people in the context of the local church. And that's where we, as a convention, have come on many different issues that we would call second-tier issues, issues that are not uh, central to the gospel. These are issues that need to be discussed in the local church and resolved in the local church. And between churches, we can have a respect for one another, In fact, I'll tell you, if you do sense God call you one day to the International Baptist Convention, what you will discover is a family. It's a family that loves to be together, like those cousins, the ones you like, right, that you see at those family reunions. We look forward to being together. There's something about serving outside of our mother country. There's something about serving people from all kinds of nations of the world that has opened us up to new kinds of experiences, new kinds of expectation of what God is going to do. And so there's a strong brotherhood and sisterhood in the International Baptist Convention. And for many people who will be in our churches for nine months or one year or two years, these uh, moments can be some of the most encouraging and significant moments in their lives. And although we do ministry in the English language, we also have an opportunity to impact the host cultures where our churches are located. Uh, Post-Christian, secular Europe is desperately in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And people have an opportunity as they come to practice their English, or to discover uh, traditions that are different than their own, to have an encounter with the living Christ and respond to the gospel. And so I pray that this morning you are encouraged as I have been. Uh, as I wrestle with these issues, as I, re- I, I don't like conflict, I'm a people pleaser. I like everybody to get along. I wish everyone would just get along in our convention all the time. We love each other, we don't always get along. But God has shown us that we can be an agent uh, for the growth of his church. Not just now, but in the long term. Because I believe what we discover here is that gospel-found freedom preserves the church and produces godly disciples. And those are both issues that are close to the heart of God preserving his church and producing godly disciples. May he use us to that end. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for the encouragement that comes from your word. One of the things that we appreciate about scripture is that it doesn't shy away from the messiness of life, the difficulty Uh, And, and Lord, certainly in, in our context, in evangelical Christianity, we recognize that there are plenty of places that are seedbeds of conflict. Deeply held convictions where people cut off relationships, where their angry responses to one another on Facebook cause irreparable damage to relationships. And the world looks at the church and wonders what difference is there in the church? Where is the love that we hear preached by the church? Lord, as you continue to work in our lives because of the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross, because of your spirit who dwells in us, and as we Rub shoulders with other brothers and sisters in Christ who help us to grow. May the result of that growth lead to the growth and sustainability of local churches around the globe. And we desire this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand as we continue to sing this morning hymn number 349, to God be the glory.